1: So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com.
3: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
4: Up next, The Truth with Lisa Booth, part of the Gingrich 360 Network.
1: January 6, 2021. We all know what happened that day. Or do we? The media, the bureaucracy, the political lead, they're all pushing the same narrative. That a mob of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol in a violent insurrection to destroy democracy. But what if there's more to the story? What if crucial details are missing or being ignored? What if the prevailing narrative was designed to be a political weapon, not the truth? Today, I get to the bottom of what happened on that fateful day in January. This is The Truth with Lisa Booth. Uh welcome back to the truth with lisa booth i've got a really important show for you guys this week so as you know this podcast is about rejecting groupthink it's about getting to the truth even if it makes people feel uncomfortable and nothing has become more dominated by groupthink than the events of january 6 2021. across the political spectrum and certainly in the media The prevailing consensus is that a mob of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol in a violent insurrection to change the results of the 2020 election and destroy American democracy. That's what we're supposed to think. That's the narrative. But are we missing something? Is there more to the story? What actually happened that day on January 6th? To answer all of these questions, I'm bringing in someone who knows more about January 6th than probably anyone. Julie Kelly, who is a political commentator and a senior contributor to American Greatness. She's also closely covered the prosecution of those who breached the Capitol, revealing some disturbing details that I think should trouble all Americans. Julie is also the author of Disloyal Opposition, How the Never Trump Right Tried and Failed to Take Down the President, which came out last year. And with that, I'm pleased to welcome Julie Kelly to the show. Julie, thanks so much for joining The Truth with Lisa Booth.
2: Lisa, thank you so much for having me on and for covering this really important issue. I, I really appreciate it.
1: It really is. But it's so weird that there, there doesn't seem to be much of a concern on behalf of many in the media to actually get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th. And we've seen a lot of selective coverage. We've seen a lot of reports end up being incorrect as well. Um, but why, why do you think there's a lack of interest in actually getting to the full details of what happened on January 6th?
2: Well, Primarily, Lisa, because what we were told right out of the box, what happened January 6th, was an armed, deadly insurrection caused by Trump supporters. It now it not only was used as the justification to get Trump off of social media, which, of course, big tech wanted for years, also to silence any criticism about the 2020 election. But more alarmingly, the events of January 6th, the way it's been portrayed is being used as a pretext to pursue all sorts of Democratic Party objectives, uh, not the least of which is weaponizing our Justice Department, our Department of Homeland Security, even our Defense Department and uh, National Intelligence Community against people on the right. And they've wasted no time exploiting what happened January 6th to weaponize the federal government, even more so than it was under Donald Trump not just going after Trump and his people, but now going after millions of Americans for the wrong think uh, about what happened in 2020. And
1: was it an armed insurrection, as the media and the left have told us?
2: Uh, It was not, unless you consider things like pepper spray, uh, a few flagpoles, a riot shield. Uh, Some people had little collapsible batons. Um, There were no firearms. And I I want to say that again, no firearms that were found or certainly used in the Capitol that day, with the exception of the U.S. Capitol Police officer who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt. Now, there are two or three charges of uh, illegal firearm possession, which within Washington, D.C., but no one was carrying or no one has been caught or charged with carrying A firearm in the Capitol. Um, And so that was just the beginning of the falsehood about what happened that day. And that really was launched by Nancy Pelosi in her press conference the day after where she called it an armed insurrection without any evidence. But after looking at all the charging documents, all the indictments, um, they still have not found anybody. They cannot prove that anybody had firearms in the building that day.
1: You seem to be one of the only people that is actually thoroughly trying to uncover what happened on January 6th. Why why has this story been of such interest to you?
2: That's such a good question, Lisa. I think... Watching the events unfold that day and watching, watching the reaction, the coordinated action, uh, a reaction from the left and the right and most of the media just raised all sorts of red flags to me. Anytime they're all on the same page, I figure I should be on the other page. And that is just really mostly a result of, you know, watching what this Justice Department and the media and intelligence community attempted to do to Donald Trump. I, you know, I followed Russiagate, Gate very closely, um, and then obviously the impeachment and the intelligence community, their involvement in that. So anytime you have people like Mitt Romney and uh, Nancy Pelosi and the media uh, all singing from the same hymnal, Uh, You have to suspect that something is up. I do want to clarify there were people there who acted badly that day. We know that. We see the videos. We have the evidence. There are people there who did attack police officers, who vandalized the building, uh, who acted in a way that they shouldn't have been. Uh, And those people should and, and are being prosecuted. But when you have people, and we can talk about some of the the more uh, outrageous cases, not the least of which is the Indiana grandmother who pleaded guilty this week to one misdemeanor of parading or picketing in the Capitol building, and now is on probation for three years, Um, you know, this nationwide FBI manhunt, where Merrick Garland now is bragging they've arrested 500 people, mostly for trespassing and, and disorderly conduct, Um, I mean, something is up there. And so that's sort of my long winded answer about why this interested me. I thought from the get go that most of it was a ruse. And and I think that that is turning out to be the reality.
1: Well, and what's odd is, you know, you've tweeted this before that, you know, the Capitol Police, there's at least over 14000 hours of footage from noon to 8 p.m. that, you know, we haven't seen that hasn't been put out. Why is that?
2: Yes, that's a terrific question. Why is that? Why uh, is the U.S. Capitol Police arguing in court filings that this uh, material should be kept private from the American public? Uh, One justification, one reason they gave was because they did not want the more potential insurrectionists to see the insides and outsides of the U.S. Capitol that might provoke another attack. I mean, that's just hilarious on its face. But what's even worse, Lisa, is what's happening in court. You have the Justice Department claiming that these videos are highly sensitive government material therefore, they can just cherry-pick whatever clips they only have access to, present them in court in a very one-sided way. Defense attorneys are, are complaining that they want to see the whole trove of video related to their client because it could, of course, include exculpatory evidence. For example, the U.S. Capitol Police, which we know were attacking protesters outside, spraying them with pepper spray, using flashbangs, and any of the protesters fought back against that, which most normal people would, they want to see that video. But the Justice Department and, and judges in Washington, D.C. Uh, are doing their best to conceal that from not just the public, the media, but defense attorneys and the defendants themselves. What is, but why? What are they trying to hide?
1: Well, and it also begs the question that perhaps some of the video would counter the narratives that they're trying to drive or negate some of the charges that, you know, they're filing against some of these individuals. I mean, for instance, we've seen videos on social media that give the appearance that Capitol Police officers are letting protesters in or are standing peacefully as individuals check out the Capitol in various parts of the, the building. Um, you know, so how would it be an insurrection or how are people charged if they were allowed into the building?
2: That's a great question. I mean, and that is something that down the road, the government is going to have to explain in court. Um, Senator Ron Johnson, now there are two committees who have access to the trove of footage that the US Capitol Police uh, captured that day. And Ron Johnson is one of them. His staff has reviewed some of the footage already and they have flagged a part of the footage right around 2.30 that day. From the inside of the Capitol, where it shows an individual trying to open a set of double doors on the West Upper Terrace, the person cannot do, is unsuccessful. That person leaves, five unidentified people come back, a U.S. Capitol Police officer points in the direction of this double door, the five people go over, successfully open the door, leave the door ajar as they exit the building, and more than 300 people protesters then enter the building. Now, if you're on that side, you're thinking, okay, well, for whatever reason, they opened the door. There were Capitol Police standing right there. They didn't arrest them. They didn't tell them to leave. They didn't do anything. So those people are being charged, even though they will say in court filings and and admit, say, we we walked in the Capitol through open doors. There were Capitol Police standing right there. We didn't think we were doing anything wrong. So who did that? So this is the sort of evidence. This is the sort of thing that we would find out if we had access, public access, to what you just said—the 14,000 hours of uh, a video from both inside and outside uh, the building on January
1: 6th. So there's also been questions, you know, regarding that, and of course, when there's a lack of transparency, it. it- it ends up raising a ton of questions. And so it's, you know, it's always the best to be the most transparent in the process. And then you mitigate you know additional questions and, you know, you mitigate uh, conspiracy theories and et-, et cetera. Right. You know, but there's there's also been allegations and concerns that the FBI infiltrated the Capitol Hill, you know, the January 6th events, particularly key groups like Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, Three Percenters similarly to how the FBI uh, you know, allegedly infiltrated the plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. What do you know about this and you know how much truth is to it and or is there to it? And, and what do we know about it, basically?
2: Well, I think that the revolver piece written by Darren Beatty raises some really legitimate questions, especially on the Oath Keepers case. And I, I've covered the Oath Keepers case pretty extensively from the beginning. Uh, and let's just back up with that. This is an absolutely absurd conspiracy case filed against 16 Americans who are oath keepers. All they did was plan to travel to Washington, D.C., hear the president's speech. They were outside the Capitol. They entered the building in what they call a stack formation. They're all of them are ex veterans or they, I'm sorry, they are veterans enter the Capitol in a stack formation. They had no weapons. They assaulted no one. They didn't attack a police officer. They didn't vandalize the building. They didn't steal anything. They literally walked in together, took pictures, walked out, talked about how they stormed the Capitol, you know, using all this kind of hyperbole. They didn't commit any criminal act. But our Justice Department has been rounding these people up since the middle of January. Two of them are in this what I call the deplorable jail, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit here, uh, denied uh, bail held in pre-trial detention while the government tries to build this conspiracy case against them. So what is being raised is while they've arrested 16 Oath Keepers, one of them just pleaded guilty this week to conspiracy, where are Persons 1 through 10, Persons 1 through 20, who are cited in the indictment against the Oath Keepers? Why isn't Person 1, who they believe is Stuart Rhodes, the founder and head of, of Oath Keepers, Why hasn't he been charged with anything yet? They basically have all the evidence they're going to need. They have videos of them in the hotel in Virginia. They have text messages they shared beginning in November. What are they waiting for? So I think you have to assume, given the FBI's recent history, not just with the Whitmer plot, but with Russiagate and Visagate. Remember, Lisa, we were told they ran no informants or spies into the Trump campaign. Well, of course they did. Um, And so we have to assume, given the FBI's history, their unjustified animus towards groups like the Oath Keepers, uh, that they would be running informants, some sort of spy, some sort of confidential human source into these organizations, not just to collect information, but to instigate and provoke them into doing what they did on January 6th.
1: And talk a little bit about, for the folks at home who are unaware, the FBI's involvement in the Whitmer plot, the Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, the governor of Michigan.
2: So basically, I believe they had five FBI agents or informants in one form or the other who got kind of this sad set group together and led the way into this assassination plot, it was called, against Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. Uh, And I believe that it was exposed in October, the court filings. But through the court filings, they not just was getting collecting information, that they basically were the ringleaders in putting together this so-called assassination plot against Gretchen Whitmer. Um, And so I know that uh, Revolver News and others have more details on that case. Um, But Revolver News also has uh, an updated article that talks about five or six Examples of during the war on terror, when the FBI was doing the same thing, sort of inciting people uh, along with, you know, ISIS or Al Qaeda sympathies to concoct these terrorist plots that then they could brag about that they they broke it up which was what we saw with the Whitmer case too.
1: It also raises questions of if the FBI was involved and the FBI was aware that these events or or some sort of events would unfold on January 6th, why didn't they do more to stop it or why didn't they stop it?
2: That is another great question. I mean, look, you had Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen testify in Congress before a House committee a few months ago that the DOJ sent more than 500 agents to the Capitol on January 6th. Well, who, who were they? He specifically said FBI and ATF agents. Well, I'll tell you of all the videos that I've seen, I haven't seen any agents who are identified as FBI. Could you see if these Trump supporters who were just there thinking they were participating in a protest, if they saw people coming in with FBI and ATF jackets on or gear, they would have dispersed immediately? Who were these 500 agents? What were they doing? Were they there before, during, after? What was their role? No one is asking that question. Chris Ray, this FBI, after James Comey, the stench of James Comey lingers on. And the federal bureau of investigations chris ray is no better if not worse than jim comey um, he is the one who is insisting as our cities burn down meltdown are besieged by criminals night after night he continues to tell the american people that domestic violent extremists pose the biggest security threat to the american people that is complete garbage. He cannot prove any of it. In fact, when he tried to, he had to reach back to like 2015 and 2014 for random examples of lone wolf sort of activity that he couldn't even tie to domestic violent extremists as they call it. So on its face, uh, Chris Ray is not a trustworthy person. He has a political agenda. Um, He is the one trying to convince for whatever reason that these Trump supporters are the real threat. Meanwhile, his agents are dispersed across this country, banging down the doors of innocent people, Americans to terrify them, people who have no criminal record. They did this again yesterday, Lisa, arrested a Florida pastor and his son. The son was arrested in front of his three-year-old daughter. He's charged with three counts, Trespassing, just two trespassing charges, basically, and disorderly conduct. And they had their guns out. Uh, the daughter was asking why are daddy's hands locked? Um, he was hauled off, you know, to, uh, uh, to be arrested and charged. For what? I mean, this is a terror campaign against the American people. That's being led by this FBI. We should trust nothing that's coming out of that agency.
1: Well, I don't trust them at all. And and it's also, you know, I mean, we saw what happened over the summer and we saw what has happened recently. You have Antifa and these left wing groups, domestic terrorists in places like Portland, Oregon locking federal agents inside federal courthouse and trying to light it on fire and potentially killing federal agents, but that's not an insurrection?
2: Well, it's not, because as Merrick Garland explained, well, burning down the Portland courthouse at night is not any kind of insurrection because nobody was there. It's only an insurrection, I guess, if you, what, nobody even tried to burn down the Capitol building. Uh, These people (laughs) didn't do anything. There were a couple windows smashed, You might remember, Lisa, we were first told there was $30 million of damage to the Capitol. Now in court filings, it's 1.4 million in damages. So another lie that we were told about what happened. Um, But what was really telling, again, is Chris Ray a few weeks ago testifying. He was actually confronted about the difference between the Portland rioters and what happened on January 6th. The reason why he, he really tap danced about, well, these weren't really federal crimes. Well, as someone pointed out, well, they were attacking federal officers. They were attacking federal property, the courthouse, the ICE building. Uh, So what's the difference? And he said, well, we're still looking into this. You know, we're still investigating what happened a year later. But yet they were arresting people as early as January 8th of this year. I mean, none of this makes sense. And luckily, Lisa, to your point, a lot of Americans see a huge discrepancy an unequal system of justice, and how the Antifa BLM rioters were treated are treated, and uh, January 6 defendants.
1: Well, and to the what well, you had mentioned, what the Attorney General Merrick Garland said. I'm reading a New York Post article right now, just for you know point of clarity to make sure I have my information correct. Literally saying Portland protesters barricade courthouse with federal officers inside and then try to set it on fire. So, uh, you know some of these statements from the people in charge seem to be dubious at best. But you know, it also raises the question of, you know, obviously you've mentioned, you know, considerable resources that the FBI has placed in this over 500 people charge. Uh, I believe you had pointed out one point the acting deputy attorney general in something you had written. John Carlin bragged about how the FBI had made an average of more than four arrests uh, per day, seven days a week since January 6th at one point. So, considering the amount of invested resources and getting to the bottom of what happened on January sixth, or going after these individuals, why haven't they been able to identify who laid the pipe bombs at the RNC and the DNC? I
2: don't know. Uh, I just have no idea who was that person. I mean, the pipe bombs, to the extent that they were even anything that uh, would have worked. Uh, who is that person? They have video. How can you track down grandmas and you know uh, veterans with ease, but you can't find that person? Another sketchy timing issue. I mean, that uh, claim about pipe bombs came out at the exact same time when all of this was unfolding. It's almost like they had a set timeline of how they were going to, on that day, reveal all the dangerous activity. So that came out about the same time that Trump's speech ended and people started walking towards the Capitol building. And this was another thing, involvement of the U.S. Capitol Police, who for the most part are bad actors in the January 6th protest. Some of them acted heroically, but that agency overall um, has been acting as, uh, you know, basically Nancy Pelosi's personal stormtroopers. They did that day and they've been her bodyguards ever since. So yes, they were the ones who alerted people that, this, that these pipe bombs had been planted, well, now we're almost six months later and no one has been ID'd uh, or charged with that. So just another unknown, another part of the narrative that uh, doesn't add up and has not been proven.
1: Also kind of weird that, you know, they use the events of January 6th to then have tens of thousands of National Guard troops uh, surrounding the Capitol for an extended period of time. But uh, just a point of oddity there. Um, you know, you had raised sort of the concern about uh, people being targeted for, you know, quote unquote, wrong You had talked about how a high school senior at one point in one of your writings uh, or it might have been on Twitter. My apologies. But uh, about how a high school senior was held without bear, bail. After prosecutors argued that his parents could not be trusted custodians because he was homeschooled and, quote unquote, ingested uh, their political beliefs Uh, into him. Talk about, you know, some of the the evidence of individuals being targeted for wrong think or their political viewpoints or just their viewpoints in general.
2: Well, I think that case, and I wrote about that, and I believe it was early, maybe mid-February. That case really was the one, and it's Bruno Kua. He's an 18-year-old high school senior at the time, um, traveled to Washington with his parents. He's homeschooled. The mother's an ex-former veterinarian. She stays home to homeschool her three children. They live on a Georgia farm, you know, not the perfectly typical upstanding american family uh bruno's 18 years old he had very strong political beliefs a big supporter of donald trump you know, said some stupid things on social media, as anyone who has an uh, (laughs) 18-year-old will attest to. They say stupid things all the time, but especially on social media. So they tracked down this kid. They arrested him in Georgia, uh, transported him to a jail in Oklahoma City. The government argued um, vigorously against his release um, based on his uh, conduct inside the Capitol that day. Uh, He's accused of assaulting a police officer. Again, this is based on just videos and photographs that the government has. Um, But what was really alarming, Lisa, is hearing federal prosecutors, government lawyers, talk about how he cannot be released to his parents, that they're not suitable custodians because uh, they homeschooled him. And that's where Bruno picked up, ingested, those were exact words, ingested his parents' political beliefs. At one point in an interrogation, I call it, which was his detention hearing, Bruno's father is pushed by a federal prosecutor and criticized for taking Bruno to a Stop the Steal rally in Georgia in December, I believe. It might have been November, December. And the prosecutor says, you know, you realize basically that this Stop the Steal narrative is not true, that no one stole the 2020 election. And of course, the father dutifully says, well, yes, of course, I recognize that now you would say anything to save to spare your your child. But this is the sort of thing that is happening over and over, not just in court hearings and court filings, the evidence that um, someone does not believe that the 2020 election was legitimate, that Joe Biden did not win enough legitimate votes, that it was rigged that he was not fairly elected. That is being used as evidence to prove someone's criminality and certainly as evidence to keep them behind bars uh, awaiting these delayed trials, which the government shockingly is asking for in so many cases, even for nonviolent criminals, but also that the court is signing off on. So this is really the, uh, this is really the, Just one more piece of the alarming persecution of Trump supporters by this Justice Department.
1: More with Julie Kelly from American Greatness next. Nancy Pelosi tweeted out that the 2016 election was hijacked. Of course, the media and the left pushed the lie that Russia stole the 2016 election. So why would it then be dangerous to question the 2020 election? That's I mean,
2: for those of us who were paying attention, we saw this for four solid years, Lisa. I mean, Nancy Pelosi and every Democrat uh, said that the 2016 election was not Valid because it was influenced by Vladimir Putin, of course, another lie that we were told. Um, Every media outlet repeated that. I mean, we had a whole special counsel investigation into an imaginary crime that the 2016 election was hijacked by the Kremlin. None of it was true. And that was okay. It was not only okay, it was required that people on the left, the so-called resistance, had to believe that Donald Trump was a Putin stooge and he only won because of, you know, whatever, some Facebook posts that, that the Kremlin put up, uh, just silliness. Um, and so not only did they try to overturn the election with the special counsel investigation, but with the entire Crossfire Hurricane, the origination of the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, which was launched, you know, now almost exactly five years ago. Um, and then the impeachment trial, I mean, they never stopped trying to overturn the 2016 election results. But all of that came to a screeching halt, of course, on January 6th. And now it is not just forbidden. It's not just out of fashion to question the 2020 election. It actually makes you a criminal.
1: Which is terrifying because, you know, that's what happens in countries like Russia, not supposed to be what happens in the United States of America.
2: That's right. And, um, you know, the case this week, uh, I uh, wrote about it this week, uh, Anna Morgan Lloyd, who is this uh, 49-year-old grandmother from southern Indiana, you know, cute little thing, never been in trouble in her life, went to the Washington, D.C. with a friend, went inside the Capitol building for five, seven minutes, came out, didn't touch anyone, didn't do anything wrong. Her entire life has been upended. A lot of these people need court-appointed attorneys or public defenders from Washington, D.C. Now, Lisa, imagine the political views of a D.C. criminal defense attorney, right? These are not Trump people. <laughs> In fact, I've heard from defendants who have said their public defenders have come right out and said to them, I hate Donald Trump. I hate everything about him. So these people are not getting good representation either. Her lawyer, Anna Morgan Lloyd's lawyer, gave her a reading list um and, be, and said that and has said publicly, she thinks America is a great country, except it was built on slaves and the genocide of Native Americans. This is a woman now who is defending a Trump, uh, allegedly defending a Trump supporter, gave her this whole list, wanted her to essentially acknowledge and apologize for her white privilege. Um, and that is essentially what she had to do in court. Now, instead of the judge saying this is totally out of bounds, you have no right to give your client uh, as and you're being paid by tax dollars, your client, anything to read. This has she's not charged with any racist, any racist crimes. She wasn't this wasn't racially motivated. This wasn't motivated by her hatred of Native Americans or black people or anyone else. Um, But instead, she had to beg for mercy, before the court say that she's you know changed her views on the death penalty and her son-in-law you know is now was a holocaust denier and she didn't understand that so she pleaded guilty to as i said parading and picketing in congress but not before the government had its way with her and you know that's just one example of what the government and these so-called defense attorneys are doing to, to Trump supporters. So it is the reprogramming, deprogramming, brainwashing, whatever you want to call it, of people on the right.
1: Well, and, you know, of course, it. I assume as you, you sort of uh, alluded to and said that it's probably been difficult for some of these folks to find good representation. And we saw the president of the United States was having difficulty getting good legal representation uh, in his own impeachment trial. So I imagine uh, that these individuals have probably had a hard time finding good legal representation.
2: It's they can't. I mean, they just cannot afford it at all, which is, I think, another reason why the FBI is targeting these people. Um, And, you know, it's important to realize that every case is being run out of Washington, D.C. So these people are the ones who are then being uh, detained awaiting trial are transported to Washington, D.C., away from their homes, away from their families to be held in this jail in Washington, D.C. They have to have D.C. lawyers who are familiar with the D.C. legal system. And those lawyers are very expensive. So only a few... I mean, I heard from one defendant's family this week who has already spent hundreds of thousands of dollars defending their son um, against these charges, but he's still in jail. And so the... I mean, at the minimum, it's $50,000 these lawyers want in retainers. These people don't have that at all. So it's a rigged system, totally stacked against these people by the same judges. You'll rem- you know these names, Lisa. Emmett Sullivan, Amy Berman Jackson, Beryl Howell, Rudy Contreras. All the judges who were overseeing did everything that they could to try to take down Donald Trump uh, in the D.C. legal system for four years. These are the same judges facing these really helpless, nonviolent, not criminal January 6th defendants. I mean, they have they have no shot. They don't even know what they're up against, Lisa. And so this is why uh, the Justice Department is taking advantage of it.
1: And talk about the jail conditions. Talk about the treatment of some of the defendants, the way that they've been treated by our legal system.
2: It's horrific. I mean, as I said, they have opened up the D.C. Department of Corrections, opened up what the detainees call a pod. So this was a section of the correctional treatment facility opened up just to house January 6th defendants. So they've been transported all over the country. One man, it took them, the U.S. Marshals, 70 days to transport him from Colorado to this jail in Washington D.C., where they have been held for months, awaiting delayed trials, um, held in what I call what they call solitary confinement conditions, where they were remain in a cell, seven by ten cell, with only a bed um, and a toilet, to, for twenty three hours a day. They were let out one hour a day. To, uh, to, you know, attend to their personal hygiene, although it's only a shower, they have no shaving, they have, the barbershop is closed, they can't even cut their nails, um, and so they could shower, try to talk to their family, and try to talk to their lawyers. That's it. So I just heard this weekend that they've opened that up to 2.5 hours a day outside of their cell. Um, They are served breakfast at 3 a.m. There's reports of guards beating some of these defendants. Um, They were told to stop singing, uh, God Bless America, which they all were doing at night together to try to keep morale up. Um, They were told to stop doing that. Uh, There's no library open, they can't exercise, there's no worship. So it is really a Shawshank (laughs) type of situation for lack of a better description, for these people who have not been convicted of a crime. Last time I checked, people who are charged with crimes are still innocent until proven guilty. Everything we believe about our justice and legal system has been flipped on its head when it relates to January 6th. They are presumed guilty until proven innocent. Due process has been completely thrown out the window. They have been subjected to harsh punishment awaiting trial These people don't even have trial dates, Lisa. They have no idea how long they're going to be languishing in pretrial detention in this D.C. jail. And the judges continue to just sign off on it and just continue their cases and wait for the government to put their cases together. What they're trying to do, obviously, is torture these people, make them an example. But the long-term political objective is to drag this out into 2022. This will be Robert Mueller 2.0 where they use these investigations uh, as a political weapon against the so-called sedition caucus, the House members and senators who wanted to object to the certification on that day, wanted the 10-day audit. They are going to hang these cases around the necks of those Republicans and try to use it to, to defeat them. Because, of course, as you know, the Democrats have a very, very good chance of losing the House next year. So this is their only hope, to uh damage Republican candidates and try to keep the House. But I think
1: what the what's the most dangerous is when you start to have the Department of Justice and the FBI and the left try to weaponize the tools of government against political dissenters.
2: Yes. It's terrifying. And and that what you just said is not an over exaggeration. That is precisely what's happening. It took four years between the FBI ambushing Mike Flynn in the White House to ambushing business owners in Alaska to veterans at their homes in Florida um, and in grandmothers in Indiana, it only took four short years. And you know why, Lisa, because no one who did that was punished. No one has been held accountable for what they did weaponizing the Justice Department, the CIA and the FBI against Donald Trump and his campaign and his associates. They're all no one has been held accountable. No one is paying the price for illegally using our most powerful surveillance tools, VISA warrant against an American. When they can get away with that, when they can get away with what they did for four years against Donald Trump, of course, they're going to use that against regular Americans. And for people listening who think, well, of course, it's only the people who are at the Capitol. No, it isn't. They are going to be coming for all of us in one way or the other. This Justice Department today on Friday is announcing a lawsuit against the state of Georgia for its what they call voter suppression law. They are going to run roughshod over everyone on the right until we submit to accepting rigged illegitimate elections presidential elections and silence any criticism of this government or anyone on the left that is what's happening it's terrifying this investigation is just one part of it Um, but for anyone who thinks that they are going to be immune to these awesome government powers that they have made no secrets they want to use against us uh you won't be they they're they will come for uh, for everyone Uh, in one way or the other. Well,
1: and also for anyone listening who has a problem with this conversation or who wants to deem it dangerous, I'm sorry, conservatives have every right to question the FBI and the DOJ and those in authority, particularly when you have the inspector general finding that there were 17 errors and omissions all going in the direction of hurting Donald Trump with the FISA warrants that the FBI and the DOJ obtained against Obama and Biden's political opponent, which was then Donald Trump. So, yeah, we have. And then you even have Kevin Smith who doctored an email to try to indict the Trump campaign and to damage them. So, you know, you can go fly a kite if anyone says that we're not allowed to have this conversation or to question those in authority and to question what happened. And, and usually you would also made Well, first of all, also, where where's Kim Kardashian or Van Jones or any of those people on this?
2: That's right. Where are our freedom? You know, where are the libertarians? Where are the criminal justice reformers, the prison reformers? They have been. Comp- well, and look, I'm not just going to blame the people on the left who usually take up these causes. Where are the Republicans on this? I mean, we have heard from a houseful of a handful of House Republicans and a couple of senators. Ron Johnson once again on the forefront of taking this on. Uh, where? Where, where is everyone? They should be outside of this jail screaming every day. You don't have to defend bad behavior in, or, in the service of defending the rule of law and what is clearly and uh, in, in condemning what is clearly an unequal system of justice. We can't tolerate that in this country. Lisa, imagine for a moment, if it were one year ago, Donald Trump and Bill Barr were on a nationwide manhunt hunting down the Lafayette Square protesters, people who actually attacked cops, who burned property, including a church, you know, steps from the White House, menacing Donald Trump and the White House. Imagine if for months they were on a nationwide manhunt, dragging these people back to D.C., holding them in jail, pretrial detention. Um, Can you imagine the outrage, not just on the left, but on the right? I mean, we would have every single Republican senator condemning that saying this is not what our Justice Department should be used for. But we've heard basically nothing, um, which is this is a dangerous uh, time for I mean, this is a harbinger of what we can expect from Republican leadership when our very own people are being uh, persecuted by a powerful government agency. And that is they're too afraid to say anything. Well, people would lose their minds
1: if it was President Trump and Bill Barr. I, I, I want to ask you, too, you wrote in an op-ed. I, I thought it was a, a really good point. That Well, you made a lot of really good points, but uh, you know, this I found interesting. You were talking about big tech, and when will big tech face a reckoning for January 6th? And you asked this question in the op-ed. You So you say, so if the sitting president of the United States, along with regular Americans, could be punished for using these platforms to allegedly stoke violence— What is the liability of the companies themselves? Talk a little bit about that and what you wrote in that op-ed.
2: Well, the whole uh, premise for Parler being deplatformed and shut down and uh, and everything uh, removed from Amazon Web Services was because it acted as a vehicle to uh, to foment the insurrection that day, because there were a lot of people allegedly on Parler who were communicating and posting things that they were gonna do that day and communicating otherwise. Well, Facebook and Twitter had most of the evidence, has most of the DMs, most of the postings about what happened that day. So why is Parler, why was it basically destroyed uh, from what alleged for what happened January 6th, but not Facebook and Twitter? Um, so if the people using those platforms were committing some crime, And let me just say, in one case this week, people have been charged with destroying government evidence for deleting their own Facebook account. So if that is a crime, deleting your Facebook account is a crime, using Facebook to communicate, well, when is Facebook going to be charged? When will Twitter be charged? Why was Parler the only one who paid a price, not Facebook and Twitter? So that's just, you know, another part of People, you know, this disparity in, in who's being punished and who isn't.
1: Didn't Parler send the FBI advanced warnings of specific plots to use violence at the Capitol?
2: They did. They alerted the FBI. Uh, they have letters and communications that they sent to the FBI that they were seeing sort of alarming chat, uh, chatter and posts on uh, that platform about what was going to happen on January 6th. The FBI did nothing. Um, And so but of course, because that is considered a platform of the right, they are basically no one uses Parler anymore, unfortunately, because of what happened after that. Uh, But Facebook, you know, they came out and the Democrats said their usual thing to Facebook. You know, why were you involved in this, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, they they have not been charged with anything.
1: Did Twitter or Facebook send advance warnings?
2: To the FBI? Not that I am aware of. I don't think so. Not that I'm aware of. But Parler was
1: the one that was called out and bared the brunt, yet they warned the FBI and Twitter and FBI to our knowledge or Twitter and Facebook to our knowledge did not.
2: Exactly. But look, Facebook and Twitter did what they needed to do to protect themselves, which was immediately deplatform uh, Donald Trump take away his accounts permanently, um, also purge, you know, tens of thousands of user accounts who were peddling conspiracy theories. Anybody who posted anything about Q was deplatformed. Obviously, people like Sidney Powell, and Mike Flynn lost their accounts, too, on, on Twitter. So um, that purge of the right satisfied, uh, I guess, the Justice Department enough that they didn't feel like they had to go after them criminally for any reason.
1: Well, and what I think is truly scary is, you know, the collective message from big tech, from Congress, from the left, from the people in charge, from corporations, is that we get to control what conversations you are allowed to have in America, what you're allowed to think. uh, And then if you engage in wrong think, we will go after you.
2: That's exactly right. And not only the Justice Department, uh, which is asking for a hundred million more dollars to go after domestic violent extremists. But you also have the director of national intelligence working outside of her authority. This is Avril Haines, whose name is probably familiar to a lot of your listeners. Um, She is an Obama loyalist and worked uh, with John Brennan. So she now was uh, appointed director of national intelligence. Her very first threat assessment that she issued in March was about domestic violent extremists. Above that category, Lisa, they're not even trying to hide it. She includes a sketch of the Capitol building. So the idea is what the message that she was sending people who were at the Capitol that day, near the Capitol in Washington, D.C., who voted for Donald Trump. Right. This is the continuum. They are to be considered domestic violent extremists. The problem, as Devin Nunes and and others confronted her in a House Intelligence Committee meeting a few months ago, she's not supposed to be looking at Americans. Her her purview is only foreign terrorists. So they said to her, well, why did you, what tools did you use? You're not supposed to use any of your authority to go after Americans. And she said, well, you know, we're really not. We're just basing it off what the FBI is telling us and Well, you put together this whole threat assessment that you said was, you know, based on classified information that they never provided, because, of course, it doesn't exist. So this was just a piece of propaganda coming out of another very powerful um, government agency, government community to send the message that they're going to be working collaboratively with the Biden regime uh, to go after people on the right. And so... This is what we're seeing repeatedly, repeatedly. And now to see the military going along with it, I mean, that that really should raise red flags for everyone. And
1: what exactly happened to Ashley Babbitt? I mean, what do we what do we know, you know, break down what we know and what we don't know?
2: Um, All we really know is that she was shot, as some people describe it, executed on that day. We don't know her killer. He is a U.S. Capitol Police officer. He's never been identified. Uh, The investigation, to the extent that there was one, by D.C. Metro Police and the Justice Department was closed, uh, basically saying that his actions were justified because she was a threat. She was unarmed. Um, But there's a lot to this, Lisa. Why was she in that area? There were Capitol Police clearly behind her, several of them. Were they directing her to that area? Were they were they pushing that group of people towards uh, that that doorway? Um, Were they sort of surrounded by police? I mean, you have to think, you know, Lisa, you've been in the Capitol building. It's I mean, the whole Capitol complex, it's huge. It's very confusing. Even for people who go there all the time, imagine going there for the first time. She had no idea where she was going. Um, And so the thought that you could just shoot someone in the U.S. Capitol building, uh, that the government declares it's justified, the name is never released, even though the media knows who it is. They're too afraid to uh, to release his name. And that's all that we know uh, is not acceptable. So her family is suing. Uh, I believe they're suing U.S. Capitol Police and a few other agencies. They're demanding to know the name of the police officer. But this is one more cover up by the U.S. Capitol Police. The video, the name of the shooter, how they seeded. We haven't even gotten into how they seeded the lie about what happened to Brian Sicknick. This is the agency who said on January 7th he was killed in the line of duty. He wasn't. Um, And so they still, to this day, perpetuate that lie, even though we know he died of natural causes, tragically, at the age of 42. Um, So the Ashley Babbitt shooter who started the lie about Brian Sicknick, who perpetuated that lie, um, these are still more unanswered questions that the media, surprisingly, just does not seem interested in finding out.
1: Stay with us to hear more about the events of January 6th.
0: Imagine getting in a hot, stuffy car in the summer. You know how it cools off much faster when you roll down the windows first to get the hot air out? Well, that's exactly how an easy-breathe basement ventilation system works. Removing all the musty, damp, stagnant air and replacing it with fresher, cleaner, drier air. Take charge of your air with easy-breathe ventilation and get $250 off today. Ask about DIY kits. Visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com or call 866-822-7328.
3: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
1: Well, and what other lies have we been told? Because you you had mentioned Brian Sicknick. uh, and, And two, for what happened to Ashley Babbitt, I mean, you'll have the left, you'll have people in the media will say, you know, well, she was charging the capital, she was doing things that she was not supposed to do police officers were under threat, you know, so what would you say to, you know, a lot of folks who are saying things like that as well?
2: Well, I mean, you can make the argument that she probably shouldn't have been there and that there were people there who shouldn't have been inside the building. But I mean, you can't just have a federal officer shoot somebody unarmed who was not a threat really in any way, who was just doing something she shouldn't have been doing. And then the case is closed. And we don't know anything about that. I mean, that just would not has not been tolerated. In any other instance, if there were a federal officer who even shot and killed an Antifa rioter in Portland or, say, a BLM protester in Minnesota as they're burning down buildings, um, you know, can you imagine that name being covered up by the media and the government? It would never happen. So that is uh, a big unknown. Um, but look, the Brian Sicknick issue... Uh, is really started this whole idea that this was a deadly insurrection. The Trump people were responsible for the murder of a, of a police officer. And that really inflamed people's outrage about the events of January 6th. They had the entire uh, procession through Washington, D.C. in his honor. All these uh, police officers lined up. They, of course, laid his remains in state in the rotunda, as you know, the weekend before Trump's second impeachment trial began. His family was there. Joe Biden and his wife showed up. Uh, Lawmakers from both sides were there. He was then transported his remains to Arlington National Cemetery to be buried. The whole idea was to create these optics, this theater that this uh, police officer was murdered by Trump supporters. The medical examiner's office took beyond the 90 days, which is the norm to release any autopsy results, finally in April, uh, admits that Brian Sicknick did not die, wasn't murdered by people with a fire extinguisher, which is what we were told by the New York Times on January 8th. That claim even made it into the House Democrats impeachment memo, still remains there, even though the New York Times ended up retracting that article in February. Wasn't killed by fire, wasn't bludgeoned to death by a fire extinguisher. Didn't die of an allergic reaction to chemical spray, which was the next story we were told. He died tragically of a stroke caused by blood clots near his brain. Had nothing to do with what happened on January 6th. But but it's too late, Lisa, because millions of Americans still believe that that's how he died, that he was killed as a result of uh, Trump insurrectionists on that day. So the truth doesn't matter. The left sets their narrative right away. Uh, and whatever is revealed afterwards, it, it won't change the minds of anybody who wants to believe what they want to believe.
1: Well, and there's also other lies told. I mean, there's lies told about the uh, the amount of damage that was done to the Capitol in terms of the dollar signs. Also, we had Joe Biden, our president, uh Unfortunately, but who said that this was the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War, which we obviously know is a blatant lie and a blatant distortion of history? Uh, what other lies have been told?
2: I mean, that's a huge one. <laughs> you know, the idea that this is the worst attack on what does even an attack on our democracy mean? I, it's just such silly talk that it means absolutely nothing. And so, um, the attack, comparing it to nine eleven, comparing it to the um, Oklahoma City bombing, to Pearl Harbor, to nine eleven. I mean, what an insult to the people who died in those terrorist attacks and their family members to compare it to that. But they—that's why they had to elevate the fatalities. So not only Brian Sicknick, Ashley Babbitt, but that five people died. A Senate report said seven people died because they're counting these alleged suicides by uh, police officers afterwards. They're they're attributing that to January 6th, which we don't even know. The cause, or if these people actually did commit suicide, so you even have the U.S. Senate lying about that too. So not only the the egregious comparisons that that don't work at all, the armed insurrection that it was deadly, um, that it was incited by President Trump. We know that there were people there who started this before Trump even started speaking that day. Um, The $30 million in damages, which didn't exist. So you go down this line of just unraveling, oh, U.S. Capitol Police officers letting people in. We have video of U.S. Capitol Police officers talking to protesters inside the building saying, look, we're not against what you're doing. Don't attack anyone. Don't assault anyone. Uh, We posted that video a few months ago. So um, and now the idea that the Capitol Police and people inside opened the doors and let up to 300 people in based on the footage that Senator Johnson's staff has already seen. So, yes, people acted badly that day, but it's looking more and more like it was mostly an inside job uh, and that they intentionally left the building unprotected that day. U.S. Capitol Police then provoked parts of the crowd by using pepper spray, flashbangs, rubber bullets, um, and then let these protesters inside to create all these optics, all this video uh, that this was, you know, one of the worst, darkest days in American history, as Nancy Pelosi said this week.
1: And I do want to be fair, and I do want to be honest. I mean, we've also seen video of, you know, police officers getting attacked and what, you know, certainly looks like violence on behalf of some of the individuals that were there that day.
2: Those people have been charged. I believe there's 100 people who have been charged with assaulting or attacking police officers in, in one way or the other. Um, some of them are charged with aiding and abetting the attack of police officers, which meant they bre- breached whatever line. You know, the line was bike racks that weren't even attached together. So it's not like they really put up heavy fortification to stop people from getting into the Capitol. Um, So yes, there definitely, there, there were people who assaulted police officers. They should be charged. They will be charged. Um, But we're talking about different subsets of people involved on January 6th. So to paint all of them as the same, certainly as insurrectionists or seditionists, uh, is far from the reality of what happened on January six,
1: and I think that is the distinction that matters, and is the heart of it, is because you can say that the individuals that were there deserve to have justice and deserves to have an equal application of justice and the law applied to them, as we've seen. You know, you look at places like New York with Black Lives Matter of you know letting hundreds of looters off of charges. That there should be an equal application of justice. And a differentiating between some of the individuals who were on camera acting, you know, terribly versus people that maybe have been let in by Capitol Police, which is also what you know appears to be on camera at all as well. So it, it at the essence of it, at the heart of it is just ensuring that people have a just treatment by or law enforcement in the legal system.
2: That's right. I mean, you cannot have this unequal system of justice. You can't have one person who is accused of using bear spray in the Capitol, who um, is charged with possessing possessing or using a deadly or dangerous weapon, who sits in a jail for months on and awaiting trial, um, and then other people in Portland or other areas who also use chemical spray against federal officers who are let out on bail, uh, who aren't charged with using it or possessing a dangerous or deadly weapon. Um, you can't have that. You have to. And th- these are federal cases. You can't have this ratcheting up of the January 6th investigation while at the same time, the same Justice Department is dropping actively dropping federal cases against Portland rioters for far worse crimes. Not only that, expunging their records, uh, only to you know, sort of encourage them to commit this sort of crime again, which we know that they will. So this is really what outrages people. They see not just the disparity, uh, disparities in how justice is applied to these protesters, but also see these huge crime spikes in cities across the country. While our top law enforcement agency is fixated on people who walked into the Capitol building for 10 minutes six months ago. This is not what most Americans want our top law enforcement agency to focus on right now. They want them to use their agencies and their powers to keep our communities, our neighborhoods, our cities safe uh, and not to send a political message and create an entire class of political prisoners which is what's happening
1: and it's also like let's just be fair in the sense of you know obviously if people truly did wrongdoing then you know sure charge them you know they should be treated as much but not the same level of treatment for people that just showed up or entered in the Capitol and you know didn't do anything else so you know it's it's sort of ridiculous what what, what else am i uh missing in this conversation that the people and my listeners need to know
2: I mean, I think we've covered pretty much everything. I think for people who are infuriated about this, really all we can do right now is push our Republican representatives in Washington to demand more answers, to demand the release of most of the footage that day, to push back on the justice department, continuing to ask to keep these people behind bars for months and months on end. So that's really when people ask, what can we do, um, as they learn more and more about what's happening, I think, unfortunately, at this point, this is all we can do is demand that our uh, Republican leadership finally speak out, not just in defense of these people, but against using very powerful federal authority to go after Americans on the political right.
1: What kind of heat have you faced for raising these questions and covering this story?
2: Um, you know, a lot at first, Lisa, Um you know, very few people were willing to pick up. And I want to give a shout out to my publisher, Chris Buskirk and American Greatness, because they never flinched in being outside of the group think on January 6th. So at first, a lot of it, uh, you know, people did not really. I, I mean, obviously, you know, this Lisa, you have the people on Twitter or the bots or whoever mocking you for what you're doing. Um, and but, you know, that didn't really bother me. None of it really did. Uh, but we could see the tide turning, and I think that it is turning because um, we are, people are starting to realize and recognize what's going on. Um, and so, to be honest, at this point, I'm I'm glad that I'm one of the few people who has been diving into this from the beginning. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, it's it's come. The story unfolding has come a long way over the past six months. And um, so I think people who are even reticent, very reticent to even have me on or talk about it uh, are are reconsidering it. And I'm not saying that you are or anybody else, but I, I want to tell you how grateful I am for the opportunity to really talk about this thoroughly with you and you bringing up all these questions and, and issues because, you know, it's important. I think this is the most important thing that's happening in the country right now. And uh not just because I'm covering it, but because it's a harbinger of what is going to happen, what is happening and how it's going to accelerate unless we uh, put up some sort of defense?
1: Well, there's also repercussions about what's a, what kind of society we have. you know, what kind of America we have? Do, you, do we have a justice system that is you know equal and fair? Do we have a political party that, you know, goes towards authoritarianism using the tools of government to target political opponents. I mean, the story and the future of all this and what happens with all this says a lot about what kind of country we are and where we're heading as a society.
2: It really does, Lisa. And, you know, people who a year from now are going to come to terms with how this all unfolded and how this came together under Joe Biden's presidency, it's going to be too late. Um, You know, you it's, it will be too late for our leaders or, you know, influencers or regular Americans to go, whoa, this is not what we thought. We really thought the DOJ was going to go after the people who attacked police officers and who vandalized the building. We didn't realize that this was going to be used as a pretext to completely use, as Joe Biden has said and others, a whole of government approach to go after the political right Um, And that is precisely what's happening. If people don't realize that until, say, June of 2022, it's going to be too late because they are going to quash every election reform law passed in red states. Uh, They're going to continue to silence critics. They're going to criminalize anything that they deem is a threat to their power. And if we don't keep speaking out, reporting on it, pushing people uh, it's all—it's already almost too late, but we have to do what we can do to expose uh, this really nefarious, insidious and highly dangerous, highly un-American uh, use of uh, our federal government.
1: Well, and the trend lines are dangerous, particularly even just looking at the past year and the way that COVID was treated and the lockdowns and the government dictating to us how we live our lives, the ability to open businesses, to go to church. Uh, Who gets to exercise their First Amendment rights and who doesn't and letting thousands of people protest and riot in the streets, but other people cannot go to church or there's limits on church attendance. So it it, it just it really troubles me that we're having this conversation about the way the justice uh, system is treating individuals who support President Trump that also coincides with just the creeping authoritarianism that we've seen over the past year and the blatant abuse of power and executive orders and authority that we've seen from so many governors and mayors across America.
2: That's right. I mean, I think in some way, Lisa, that was a test run to see how much the American people would tolerate, how quickly they would submit to things that are so authoritarian, not passed by any legislature, just these orders by governors on both sides of the aisle. It wasn't just Democrats. It was a lot of Republicans too. And how much we would give up our liberties and freedoms to a handful of bureaucrats like Anthony Fauci uh, with ulterior motives, um, incompetent, corrupt, uh, incompetent at at best, corrupt at worst. Um, And they saw how fast they could roll up, uh, you know, power, and force people to shut down their businesses and give up their personal freedoms and liberties. And so that was a little bit of or uh, what happened during the election. And they got away with it again.
1: But Trump was a fascist.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. He was he was the bad guy. <laughs> if only if only he was a fascist, we, <laughs> we, we we would be talking about a way different situation in our uh, federal agencies. But well, uh, unfortunately, that was not the case.
1: Uh, And, and of course, you have people like Maxine Waters voting to impeach Trump, saying that he incited a riot, who are completely guilty of using the exact same rhetoric that they deemed insightful. So uh, what is up is down and what is down is up in today's society, Julie, sadly.
2: Yes, that is absolutely the truth.
1: Right. Yeah. What is up is down and down is up. I I don't know if I said it correctly before. (laughs) But I'll say it right then. Uh, Julie, the whole entire point of my podcast and the reason why I wanted to do this and the reason why this podcast means so much to me is to be able to have conversations like this, to be able to have conversations that the mainstream media are censoring and trying to silence because the truth matters in society and without it, we are not a society and we're certainly not a civil society. Uh, And so I appreciate the work that you're doing and I appreciate you taking the time to come on The Truth with Lisa Booth.
2: This was so great, such a thorough uh, conversation, and you you knew all your stuff, and so I really appreciate it. And uh, I know the people involved, families, and Americans who have been caught up in this destructive investigation will be very grateful for your coverage. So thank you.
1: We'll keep fighting for the truth, Julie, and I'll continue to follow your work. Uh, And where can people find it? Just for the folks at home, where can they find your work? Where can they find you on Twitter?
2: Sure. So my uh, work is at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. And I'm on Twitter a lot at uh, uh, Julie underscore Kelly, too. And everyone,
1: I urge you to go follow her and to look at her work. She's covered this extensively. You'll learn a lot. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for your hard work. Uh, keep at it. We appreciate you.
2: I will, Lisa, and you too.
1: Thank you so much. <gasps> I want to thank julie kelly again for following this story and for joining the show today also want to thank you guys at home for listening if you enjoyed today's show please 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 leave us a review and rate us five stars on apple Podcasts. it helps so much to hear from you to leave reviews and to leave ratings so please do that you can also find me on twitter and instagram at at Lisa marie booth also just want to thank our team this podcast would not be possible without these folks our producer john cassio writer aaron kliegman Researcher Margaret Smith, who's leaving us this week, we're going to miss her so much. And executive producers Debbie Myers and Speaker Duke Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 Network.
3: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio, station and mrn or nascar.com martinsville talladega the chicago street course we have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win photo finishes ryan blaney will win the voice of nascar the motor racing network
1: this is the
0: story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears
4: grinding or a belt slipping